podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. Tim Minchin is a national treasure in Australia. He sells out stadiums in the UK with his comedy tours too. But he's certainly done it his way and ruffled a lot of feathers along the way. As well as his comedy, Tim's written some controversial songs attacking Trump, Cardinal Pell and even Australia's stance on marriage equality. He's been nominated for two Tony Awards writing songs for the Broadway musicals Matilda and Groundhog Day and after playing a goth rock star for a season on David Duchovny's show Californication, he's got his first big feature film role coming out later this year playing Friar Tuck in the remake of Robin Hood, opposite another of my podcast guests, Ben Mendelsohn. But there's been some heartbreak along the way too, and Tim's brutally honest about all that when we catch up in the green room of an old Hollywood studio lot where he was filming a Comedy Central show. Here's Tim. Doesn't get much more Hollywood than this. And and like real Hollywood, it's kind of a scungy lot in a scungy street (laughs) in the middle of a scungy part of LA. (laughs) Hollywood, baby. It's actually a very nice lot. (laughs) But the glamorous part is that you're whizzing off tonight to London Mm -hmm. for for a night. Yeah, in this incredibly environmentally unfriendly life I live. I mean, (laughs) I'm flying to Chicago tonight in order to get to London by tomorrow night doing a 20-minute interview then having a beer with some friends and then getting on a plane, flying to Dubai, flying to Melbourne for four days, then to Auckland for 36 hours to do a Matilda promo gig for the um, New Zealand or Auckland season of Matilda, then to Sydney to see some family for six days and then to Perth and then to Broome and then to Perth and then Sydney and then LA and that's the holiday. Well, I'm just tired thinking about all that. You've got some great frequent flyer miles, right? Yeah, I've got to get on to that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I... I think it's really bad, actually, and it's part of, you know, moving home plan, but I'm not sure how much moving home is going to stop me travelling. Mm. Um, I've just got to get the balance right. But this year I um, I had my animated film here and Groundhog Day going into New York and my um, live-action film that I was acting in, filming in Budapest and Croatia, and it was... It's stupid. I have a huge problem saying no to stuff, yeah. Well, that's not a bad problem to have if you're being offered all these amazing things, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think probably the reason I have such trouble saying no is because all the doors were closed for so long. You know, not that long, but until all through my 20s when my friends were going off and getting roles and getting record deals and stuff, um, and I was struggling. When, when, when every door you knock on is closed, then when they're all open, you just go apeshit. And I feel like... Uh, it's just started. I mean, I was talking to those kids um, in Auntie Donna. Have you seen the sketch group Auntie Donna? Melbourne boys. To them, I'm like part of the furniture because they first discovered me in high school and they're all grown men touring the world doing comedy and they're like, well, you've been in it forever. And I'm like, no, I've just just started. That's how it feels. So you just want to do everything. But you've obviously been an inspiration then to those kind of people who saw that it could be possible. I think... um, I mean, of course, everyone who gets out there and does some stuff has their trail of influence. I think it was a very interesting time that I got into comedy in Australia. That period in Melbourne, 2003, 4, 5, 6, um, really, and, and 
you go back to Doug Anthony, All Stars and Tripod, who had all been doing it for years, but then it kind of hit peak musical comedy. Um, that era, Sammy J, um, the bedroom philosopher, Josh Earl, soon after Access of Awesome, who did huge internet sort of traffic, um, me, Eddie Perfect, did I say Eddie? Of course, Casey Bonetto, um, Tripod, Gud, who were Doug Anthony Olsen and some of the Doug Anthony Olsen. I mean, it was like a real respected thing. And then I went to Edinburgh and went, oh, it's, that's not normal. There's not normally that much music and comedy being combined. So I think looking back, it was a bit of, a, bit of an era. And I think it had, a, had an impact there. I think culturally in Australia, the idea of doing musical satire is not looked down upon as it is um, here probably. So you grew up in Perth. Mm-hmm. Your dad was a doctor. Mm-hmm. At what point did you realise that you didn't want to go sort of down the usual academic well, path? Probably I thought I would be more academic than my dad and his dad. I, I, so I'm one of four kids and we all, we ranged from average to above average students and we all, there was no choice in our family. You didn't, there was no mucking around, you know. My parents are quite strict or something. I don't know. We're just all scared of not doing our work. And um, uh, I think um, I thought I probably, when I left school, I mean, I'm five out of the six of us have done arts degrees, my mum and all four kids. Um, and I think it's brilliant. I think everyone should have um, broad education, especially about these days, about everyone should learn a bit of philosophy and psychology and literature so that we learn the lessons of the past and uh, don't get ourselves into the fix that we're in now. My arts degree, I think I probably thought I would be a teacher, but from about, you know, when I was about 14, 15, I started playing in bands with my brother. We are just playing bands. And because uh, I come from Perth, I didn't have any hope. Did um, your brother Dan? Dan, yeah. yeah. We, we, what do you mean you didn't have any hope? Well, it never. It's just not how we're brought up. We didn't think, one day we're going to be in Hollywood, you know, we just played a band. And you but went then, to Whopper. Then, yeah. Well, eventually I went to UWA and did English and philosophy and theatre, but um, academic, not practical, uh, practical element. But I started writing music for youth theatre companies, then university shows, and then went, oh, I'm going to do heaps of plays too, acted in heaps of plays. And then I thought I'll go and study and I got into WAPA, into what was called the Conservatorium, um, which was part of WAPA, doing a contemporary music course. I thought I wouldn't get in because I can't re- read or write. I can't read music. But I got in on, you, a, on audition. You still can't read Still can't read music. Yeah, I, I went wow. because I thought I've got to learn to read, otherwise I'll never get anywhere. And I came out thinking, ah, bugger that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, then, you know, on and on and on, trying to make stuff. And I always did... Lots of cool... I've done lots of... All through my 20s, I did fantastic, fun stuff. I played piano for cabaret artists and acted in Shakespeare in the Park and played in endless, you know, wedding bands, jazz bands, <laughs> piano bars, cover bands, top 40 disco and funk band called Jungle Boogie. We used to play till 4am in pubs in Frio and go and get breakfast and go to bed. You know, all the hours and hours of often not particularly glamorous gigs, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> and then, uh, then, then got an acting role in a play in Perth and recorded an album and thought. What I was got the play? It. The play was called The Return by Reg Cripp. Did a bit of Shakespeare in the Park. Got married, moved to Melbourne, 
waving this sort of like you go through the got married, go to Melbourne. Like, yeah. what, how how did that? How did the getting married change anything or everything? Uh, I think we had been. You've to, known Sarah, yeah, yeah, since we were in high school, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we were together for a few years and then broke up for a couple of years and then got back together, which puts us in our still in our early twenties. And then by our mid twenties, this this when you come from Perth, where do you grow up in Queensland? Melbourne. Oh, in Melbourne. Well, when you live in Perth, you think you've got to go to Melbourne. If you, if you want to, mm. there's this constant thing. Well, do you go to Melbourne? Are we going to Melbourne? You know, it's basically the big question. Are you the sort of person that's going to have a crack at Melbourne, the big smoke, you know? Um, it's funny that we're sitting in a Hollywood studio yeah. hearing you say that. Oh, it's huge. I mean, once we <laughs> left Perth, we could do anything. Because mm. to really, the psychological barrier and the physical barrier of that desert it's hard to explain. Maybe it's less now, but remember this is pre-internet. The disconnect, unless you're brought up by parents who are like, one day you're going to conquer the world, which we weren't, it just seems impossible. And, and I had written, I was always a little slow to, like I'd written five or six, seven scores for theatre, written countless songs before I thought, maybe I can get into a course. Like, I just didn't believe it. And all my friends went and auditioned for Whopper as actors. And I went, oh, no, that's for special people. You know, I just, you know, I hadn't got the roles at school. I wasn't, I can't read music. I just assumed I wasn't good enough. And then I went to Whopper and that went all right. And I thought, well, I can write, you know, I've written a bit of music for you docos. And, um, but when I get to Melbourne, obviously, I'm just going to, I mean, they're all going to be there, all the, all the amazing people. <laughs> So I got to Melbourne. So, so Sarah and I thought, well, let's get married before we... Well, we had discussed it and then I surprised her. The theory being we're going to go to Melbourne and we'll want to get married, so we might as well do it here so we don't have to come back and do it because we can't afford it. <laughs> um, so we did that. Very practical. Yeah, then like, literally I finished a play I was doing and um, got in the car and drove across the desert with a futon with the wheel hubs cut out, um, which is beautiful, a couple of weeks. That was our honeymoon. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it was a hell of a shock. I mean, I had toured in Melbourne with Todd McKenney and done a few things, but it, it was a big, big, big thing for us. And of course, being from Perth, I went, okay, I'll get on the message boards and I'll find a cover band that I can play in. I, I did audition for Lion King <laughs> and I did go to a general audition at the Malt House, but they confirmed my suspicion that I was not up to it. So I went, okay, I'll, I'll get a gig in a cover band. And then I started doing like band comps and stuff, which are just humiliating. Mm. But it, it's been an interesting feature of my career that I, it took a long, long time for me to go, oh, hold on, they're, all the special people aren't there. They're, they're just normal people who have worked really hard. And I've always worked as hard as any fucker, so it kind of worked out. But it yeah. took me ages to think, oh, no, I'm allowed, you know, I'm allowed to just do this as my Were career. Were you just waiting for somebody to tell you? I guess I was waiting for someone to say you have to stop now. I mean, I've, by the end of my 20s, Sarah wanted a baby. I, I, I think by then I probably would have just kept going come hell or high water, but it was always in the back of my head. And I always thought I'd be a good teacher, so it crossed my mind I should go and do a dip ad and do that. But towards the end of my 20s, I started doing these. Well, I was working with Eddie Perfect and he was doing, we were both kind of writing these satirical songs. And I started putting it all together and people started going, you should keep doing this. And I went, okay, fine. 
In, yeah, so you started getting. So I started doing cabaret in Melbourne, with your... and then I realised it wasn't that if I called it comedy, not cabaret, more people would come. <laughs> so basically, I'm a cabaret artist who rebranded himself and <laughs> rebranded my look a bit, and then it. Well, what up. was your look then? Oh, just like I had short curly hair. My hair's curly naturally, and like a little what we call a quit tickler, <laughs> um, little tiny um, '90s Johnny Depp vibe. But I started taking my shoes off, and then I started wearing a bit of makeup and. <laughs> um, slowly sort of developed into this weird thing. <laughs> and then Edinburgh and then went crazy for a bit. You were doing stadium tours in in London, right? So I got to this point where I sort of jumped a step. I, 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 was, I did Edinburgh and then I started doing 500 seaters and then 1,000 seaters and then a bit bigger and then my promoter was like a couple more years we should do arenas and then this idea came out of Australia actually that because the state orchestra is always like, well, why don't you come and do a, you know, we'll play. And, and I said to my promoter, well, why don't we do orchestras? Why, why don't we do a symphony orchestra show? And they went, well, you would need an arena then. And I said, well, do you think I can sell the tickets? And they went, yeah, probably actually. And uh, they said, but you won't make any money if you're paying for 55 people to go around the country in a bus with you. And I'm like, woo, <laughs> that sounds about right. Let's do it. <laughs> and it was amazing, really. I moved to the O2 and um, wow. Royal Albert Hall a couple of times and then Opera House and stuff in Australia. Wow. And I kind of don't know what the hell was going on in my head, really. I just sort of did it. That fearlessness, which Hollywood has stolen from me. Oh. Yeah, because I've worked for four years on a project and it's been shut down. So I'm, I'm never going to, yeah. I'll never get over that. Ever. We're talking about larrikins. About larrikins, yeah. And, and Broadway, to, Broadway's to tough as well. Larrikins, it was yeah. this fantastic DreamWorks uh, yeah. uh, musical that you were going to direct as well. Yeah, well, I did. I moved my family here. The Aussie I've been story. Di- I've been directing, writing, composing, voicing for four years, three and a half years. And yeah. then due to politics and all kinds of other stuff. Oh, Universal bought DreamWorks the got bought mm-hmm. by Universal and Universal started off saying, yeah, you're okay, and then at some point... Yeah, they did, but we weren't. I, I finally got an answer from Jimmy. They, these are not terrible people by any means. They're just uh, economic rationalists whose whose current model is um, IP. It's like it doesn't exist, so why would we take a risk on it? As opposed to The Mummy, which is good IP, which they took a risk on and lost $180 bucks or whatever they've just done, yeah. you know, like... Um, so they're, they're going to, they learn their lessons, but they, they, they have a right to buy a studio and shut down stuff they don't believe in. But we'd spent 40 million bucks and, you know, I was thinking today, someone asked me about Naomi Watts <clears throat> and, and the only way you can get over losing years and years of work like that is to forget about it. And it's taken me months and I can now sort of sleep and, you know, I mean, it's not the worst thing to happen in the world. But uh, I was thinking about this scene that Naomi did, this this bird crashes into a dam in the red dirt dam and this you know she's dying but she's hidden her egg her the last remaining royal albatross somewhere in the outback and she's pleading to this little bilby this damon herriman bilby um (laughs) to go and find it and the these storm clouds start coming in it's all animated it's all done it's finished it's beautiful that's and we'll never see it. Unbelievable. We'll go back to So that's my Hollywood story. Hmm. Is that what you wanted? Yeah, really. Now let's yeah. inspire all those people in Australia. No, well, well no, I actually am very, very... But I do very... want to talk about that yeah. a bit more because, mm. yeah, you you know, you got your success. You made your success 
somewhere else first. You didn't. Yeah. You weren't like all these kids in Australia who are like, I just want to go to Hollywood. You went to Melbourne mm-hmm. and then you went to Edinburgh and then you went to London, right? Yeah. Was Matilda happening at that point? Well and truly, Matilda opened in 2009. In fact, Matilda, which took three or four years to make, um, opened the night after I opened my orchestra tour in Birmingham. My brother and I caught a train down to Stratford and saw Matilda open. I mean... That um, must have been an insane. amazing night. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but, you know, I, I believe... I'm very, very, very lucky because I, I have come from generating my own work. I am now, hopefully, going to keep working in Hollywood as an actor. I'm blessed without beauty. That's the main thing I'm so lucky about because... Or at least... It's an interesting, different thing. The vast majority of actors who come to Hollywood are hot and... You mean like Chris Hemsworth hot? Yeah, well, no, but beautiful. I mean, this is a conversation I have with actors sometimes. There's many skills that make a good actor. 90% of the time, looks are a huge part of it. I hope for every kid that ever wants to come here that they make sure they know what their value is before they just bring their... That's a really good lesson. Rock, rock over here. I don't know what that... It's harder as an actor mm. because you do get roles because you're beautiful. And then how do, you, who, how do you value yourself? What does that mean if you're not the right kind of beautiful or whatever? It's really hard. You've got to find your craft and find what you believe you're good at and what you care about. Why am I acting? What stories do I want to tell? Why do I get up in the morning and do this other than because I want to get rich or be in magazines? If you want to do that, good luck to you. Welcome to Hollywood, but I'd, I'd try and find something more. Yeah. I think I met you shortly after you arrived and you came to one of our, uh, the Heath Ledger Scholarship mm. events at some hotel in, on La Siena. Yeah, I get them confused. <laughs> and I always, I was amazed because you came on your own and you wandered over to us and you didn't know us and you just started talking. And <laughs> normally, you, you know, I'm used to a lot of uh, actors or people that, have had some degree of success mm. somewhere, they kind of walk into a room with that, you come to me or you, mm. or I, I'm too important to talk to anybody. Yeah. And you've always amazed me with this incredible humility that you maintain. Um, I mean, it, it, especially with the success you've had now. I try very hard to tell the truth all the time. I don't know why else. And also because I'm a composer and I came to stuff late and... I know who I am. I, I'm lucky because I didn't get success early, which which corrupts your m- maturation into a person who has any sense of self-identity. And I'm stabilised by my relationship because I don't... I've never dated someone famous, um, so I don't have that bullshit going on. <laughs> and also I'm a good level. At the moment I'm in a really nice place where I have some power and in over my work and some ability to buy a house and not worry too much. So this acting journey of yours, you, you've been <laughs> yeah. flirting with it all your career. You do yeah. Shakespeare, then you go off and do comedy. You do a TV show in Australia, then you yeah. run off. You, you Suddenly you're making Robin Hood, where I saw you on the set in Budapest with Ben Mendelsohn and yeah. Jamie Dornan and Taryn Edgerton, I mean, in this big studio film. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, there you are. Um, I mean, how does it... Yeah, <laughs> Still how does doing it, the same shit. How does that fit in with everything else for you? I, I mean, that that is unbelievable. And I'm so lucky. And, and I hope it goes well. And I hope I can just enjoy it. I hope it doesn't... It would be 
It would be a disaster after everything I've done if people are like, Fry Tuck! Every time I walk down the street. That would be a pity. But I love acting. I've never done a film. It's my first film. And it's a big film. And these IP films, you know, The Mummy and King Arthur in the last few weeks, uh, the, the industry is starting to learn that they don't always... You can't just assume you're going to make 80 million bucks on your first weekend. Um, but... I hope it goes well, and I hope they go on to make a couple more, which is because my character, if, if they do get to turn it into a trilogy, my character's journey would get much more interesting. It's, it's interesting, but much more active, um, what's dom the, what, dominant. What's the, what's the take on Friar Tuck? Is it very well, different to all the other? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I, I like to think he's not very overweight, and, um, <laughs> and he's got hair, and, uh, you know, he's, it's an origin story, so he's still in the church. He's definitely comic, um, and he he's quite low status, but you find out later that he's playing a bit of another game. Are you just doing your fire tuck accent? Well, he's yeah, he's sort of <laughs> gentle London. By the end of the movie, he, he we see Jamie Foxx and me and Taron Egerton and Eve Hewson, um, you know, Little John Tuck, Robin Hood and Marion going into the forest. You know, spoiler alert. But you know, that, that <laughs> it's an origin story. Um, and Eve, Eve Euston, by the way, Bono's daughter, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, as you do, yeah. And Ben Mendelsohn, yeah. who you knew already, but yeah. having another yeah. big Australian actor there. Mendo is in my movie, yeah. Um, Mendo's amazing. And <laughs> Jamie Foxx, who's, you know, pretty well Os known too. <laughs> Oscar winning. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's an incredible experience. Prior to that, I'd done a season of Californication yeah. ye years ago, which, which I was loved. Which a great role. Which came out of nowhere. Okay, hi. Meet Atticus Fetch. Could you put some clothes on? This is the way the baby Jesus made me. He's an insecure, drug-addled rock star. Drugs! On this season of Californication, Tim Minchin guest stars as Atticus Fetch, Hank Moody's latest writing project, only on Showtime. I turned up at the audition with all my makeup still on from the night before. And they're like, oh, so you've dressed up. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, just looking washed up and... Um, what, you had a show the night before? Yeah, I had a show, and so I could I never quite get my makeup off, so I've got black around my eyes, and I'm wearing skinny jeans, and they thought I was playing a character, and it's just like, no, it's You're just like, no, I read I the character description, <laughs> and it's basically me, so if I don't fuck up my audition too much, maybe I can do this. Um, that was great, and then I got to do Secret River in Australia, which was a total yeah. change. That was a baddie and a, a character role. and um, You won a Logie for that. Won a Logie? You? Well, Logie, and but that's it really for me and Telly. And then, weirdly, in a very Hollywood way, and for this I can't be cross with Hollywood. Um, the one of the major producers on Robin Hood is a parent at my kid's school, and though she was in the middle of this big argument, well, you know, debate with the director and the studio and the other producers about who was going to play Friar Tuck, and you know, this woman was like, we were doing. Um, uh, trick or treating and I was dressed up as a skeleton or something she's like that's Violet's dad he's interesting I wonder if we need to get someone with a look you know it looks a bit different we need someone like that and she went home and googled me she didn't know what I did and she went oh that's that guy oh hold on and then rang the director Otto Bathurst who's English and she went do you know this guy Tim Minchin and of course he's English so he's like what oh my god oh my god <laughs> you know like let's do that and so like, and I, she said, I think Otto rang me and said, oh, man, would you do it? Would you do it? And I'm like, yeah, but the studio's going to want a screen test. And he's like, don't worry, no, no, you'll be fine. 
the studio wants to screen test it. And so, unbelievable, really. I mean, such a ridiculous Hollywood story. Well, that's Hollywood a Hollywood story, story yeah, isn't it, it? Right? And it's a total... The school that your kids were at. Mm. And parent. this is why I feel sorry for actors, because that's not fair. But it's, but then again, I've I've had every agent in Australia said no to me in my 20s, so that's not fair either. Like, no. It's like, it's And it's nothing about shoot. it is fair. It's all, no. it, it, you know, sometimes you're in the right place you at the wrong time. You work your guts out and you hope. Yeah, you work your guts out and you try and make sure you have a sense of yourself and a body of work and then the rest is just throwing so, darts in the wind <laughs> or something. So so what does acting mean to you? Like if you suddenly just got offered big acting job after big acting job, would you put everything else on hold for that? I guess I've always wanted to act and I always thought I wasn't, you know, I'm, I, I did always have this slight chip on my shoulder. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not one of those guys. But um, I think I would very quickly crave autonomy over my work. You know, I, I really enjoy it. But acting is, another problem with acting is it's quite a boring job. Um, the bigger the film, the more you sit around and less control you have. You, most shots in a film like Robin Hood, are, you might have two lines or one or you just walk through. Even if you're a big character, there's so much is about action and stuff. It's a great form, but mm. the actor is a very small piece in the puzzle. I mean, Mendo in Robin Hood has amazing swathes of dialogue and and Jamie and Taron, they're all proper actors, you know. Um, But you do a scene where you have to hit your mark and there's two lines and you film it 20 times. By the time you're done, you know it, no control over your work at all, which is fine. I love being a small part in something big. It's why I love making musical theatre. I'm a... I'm a contributor to a, ma- a much bigger whole. And in films, that's taken to the extreme. You're just a tiny contributor to a, to a massive piece. But, um, but I definitely know that whatever I'm doing, I crave everything else. Coming up on Aussies in Hollywood, Tim talks about getting death threats for the parody song he wrote about Australian Catholic leader Cardinal Pell. And Tim tells us why he's moved back to Australia. It's kind of does my head in even just how you continue all of these areas. I was even telling these guys because, you know, in America people know certain things, you know, you're known for certain things in different places. Mm. And I was trying to list, you know, poet, songwriter, comedian, musician, you know. Sex object. (laughs) Sex object. Shoe model. Actor, you know. Fashion icon. Violet's dad. Violet's dad, exactly. (laughs) You're just going along with the next indicated step for you. Is that how you do things? Well, up until now, I've fetishised variety and I'm still desperate to do all that stuff. But it has got the fact that things have gone well in different directions has made it harder and harder and harder because... Mm. It's, I'm so lucky, but it, it, if, if Robin Hood goes all right and I've, I've got a couple of acting things that might happen next year in Australia, then I will be asked to act a lot. And that will be very, very hard because I can't say no to anything, but I need to tour. And, and I, so it's, it's got and more difficult meantime, to do everything. And in Groundhog Day, which yeah. has already been nominated for Tony's and won Olivia's, yeah. then, you know... People obviously wanted to work with you after Matilda and then you got Groundhog yeah, so Day. Got, That's uh, going to go. I'm sure there are lots of people clamouring to write music with you for, for Yeah, you yeah, know, I get asked to write musicals all the time and I'm writing some songs for a film this year, hopefully, with a fantastic British director um, who, who you'd know about. It's a secret. And um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm us. not quite sure what 
I'm gonna how I'm gonna manage it. But I do know we want to move back to Sydney, and I would love to be involved in the theatre. I want to make theatre in Australia. We're doing the thing that no one ever does. We're we're going to prioritise family and beach over ambition. I think a lot of people do that. That's right. In Australia too. They do actually. Aussies I know do. quite a few Aussies who've moved back, as we were talking about they before. Do. You know, yeah. Rachel Griffith, Simon Baker, and Kate and Andrew. And yes, Kate. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, we do. Aussies do. Aussies know. People go, "Why are you going home?" You're like. If you're Australian, you'd know. And then people who see me over here and they're American and they've been to Australia, they go, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, totally. And you think, yeah, what yeah. am I doing here? <laughs> Especially now, just the education system and the health. And you're just like, yeah. oh, why wouldn't you just go live at home if I can survive there? But I? did you feel that um, being Australian, a, a lot of people are sort of joke about, you know, what is it you put in the water over there? It's a very small country. And for a country that small, there's, you know, now... 30 years ago, I hardly ever met an Australian actor. That, you know, there was Paul Hogan, Olivia Newton-John, yeah. whatever. Now I can't keep track of any of them. There's just too many. Um, do you think there's anything at all that they all share or we all share in common? Any ideas? You could hypothesise that in order to have the nous, or the guts and the kind of tenacity to get this far, you have to have pretty big work ethic to... It's a bit like getting out of Perth and that desert in between you and Melbourne. The ocean between... The metaphorical and literal mm. ocean between Australia and the rest of the world. You're getting a skewed sample group. The Aussies who make it here have already taken the big leap and already committed themselves. That Also in Australia, if you want to be an actor, you know you're going to have to work your guts out. No one grows up in Australia thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just go and... It's, you know you're, you're going to have to work. I also think, for some reason, a lot of Americans who end up in acting, I think it might be, here's a stupid hypothesis I haven't thought about at all, just dropped into my head. Maybe in high schools in America, because of this culture, there's like jocks and theatre queens and, you know, there's this real division. I mean, is that just in the movies? Or there's a real thing, but that's still a thing. You're a geek or a jock or, a, you know, goth or whatever. That, that's not so much a thing in Australia. It certainly wasn't for me. There isn't those um, archetypes that people impose on you. So the people who get into acting tend to be define themselves in opposition to jocks and blah, blah, blah. In Australia, you're a jock and an actor. Like, I mean, I played sport five times a week, and I think you get these Aussies who rock up here and are like, you know, they're, um, you know they can run and they can lift shit and they're not... <laughs> particularly fussed about the sun and they and, and the they people go that that guy looks like an because often they they turn into action heroes right Aussies right. um that guy looks like a thor exactly and, the, uh, and or a wolverine yeah that's exactly right these it's just that we seem to i that's my only thought yeah. is that we are refreshingly not um we we're, I, I feel like I look at the Aussie actors over here and the thing directors seem to be attracted to, I'm not saying anything about anyone else, I think the thing that American directors are attracted to in Australians is this kind of rooted to the earth um, possession over their bodies, over their physicality. People do tend to think even that the men in Australia are real men. Yeah. Versus, of course, America you know, made up the myth of the real man. Sorry. And <laughs> so, some of the most real men in cinema history were... Um, guys 
often gay guys who learnt, who were triple threats, who came out of, back in the early days, all those cowboys were like guys who could tap dance. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there are, you, you, you can't really Well, look, judge Hugh Jackman anyone. can play Wolverine and Peter Allen. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly that. <laughs> um, now, I, I wonder, before we run out of time, I want to ask you about the hilarious uh, skit you did on James Corden. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, When I Grow Up, the, yeah. from the Donald Trump uh, yeah, well, Australians, you'll musical. know, that's very light fare compared to what I usually do. I mean, exactly. com- most Australians know me for Cardinal Pell these days, which is which is like that, but ten times as full on. You've never shied away from saying things that are controversial or divisive, True. right? Yeah. yeah. That, that takes a lot of guts, doesn't it? Well, it didn't back in the day because no one was listening, and that's <laughs> how you get... Uh, that, that was my point of difference. I was a guy who could play piano reasonably properly, and look like, you know, sitting there at a grand piano playing, but the things that were coming out of my mouth were like, oh, fuck, you know. <laughs> and that was, that was my plea. Your that was, song was, was one of my favourites. Oh, good, yeah. I got people nervous back before they <laughs> knew what it was about. But um, I don't know, it was, it was a bit attention-seeking, you know, or at least in, in a, to be more generous, I was trying to define who I was and what my art was and what I cared about. And I care deeply about the stuff I talk about. And... I look back and I'm proud of most of what I've said. The transition's been very interesting. I wouldn't necessarily do everything I've done again. It's too scary. I'm, even when I'm talking to you, you can hear me going, did I say something that might be interpreted? Yeah. It's incredibly scary. Because I have said you, things I... Because if you I, upset people the wrong way, you can get death threats, you mean, or... Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I'll and take... And you've got a family. And yeah, you don't and I get to... death threats. I, I mean, I, wow. I, I got... Uh, we sent the cops around. We... we got a guy in trouble last year um, during the Cardinal Pell period. My, my agent just said, look, this guy's just a step beyond and we're just going to send the cops around. But, I mean, I've been getting death threats all along. I mean, on the internet, it's just like, oh, you're going to die, you know, and especially because I used to, you know, well, I had a song religion. about called the Palestine Peace Anthem, you know. I was, I was wading into the middle of shit. I'm too tired for the battle, really, but I... Yeah. But I wasn't too tired for Cardinal Pell, so... Or for Donald just, Trump. Or for Trump, yeah. But that was very gentle, and that was their idea, and I agreed to that. I thought it was a fine idea. I tweaked the lyrics, and I thought they did a great job. But it, I would like to write a Trump song one day, and it won't look like that. I mean, <laughs> I, if I'm going to do it, I want to sharpen every blade I've got and make sure I leave him diced on the floor, you know. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing, the success you've had. As much as L.A. was a bittersweet or yeah. maybe bitter, bitter experience, right. was it? I mean... Yeah. We, well, we've had beautiful... It's a, there are wonderful things about the city and we've made beautiful friends and this, this Robin Hood thing came out of it and, and countless yeah. interesting things have happened while we're here. Um, but you uh, would just advise any all the others who come here with a dream to still come with their dream but know that it's, it's not a very forgiving town. I guess, but it's not a very forgiving industry, and nor should it be. Just like I don't have a right to be on Broadway, and I certainly don't have a right to whinge about it, we don't have a right to be artists. No one said, no one said, oh, everyone else has to do a hard job, you get to be an actor. I just don't, I never thought that for myself. I never believed I deserved a career. I never took the doll or got a grant or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. I really, really don't. I'm not... I'm not some hardcore 
you know, I, I think you've got to find something you care deeply about and are willing to work very hard for and think very carefully about what's motivating you to do that. And not all acts need to be altruistic. You don't need to be making art to help the children or anything. You just need to make sure you care about your craft or you you might make it, but you probably won't if you don't deeply care about what you're doing mm. and care about the stories that you're telling. I did a speech for an, a British graduating class of actors, which I think made them laugh a lot, but maybe wasn't what they wanted to hear. Um, it's, it was a, a Mount View graduation, if anyone wants to watch it. But it talks about all my actor friends that I came through with and all the wonderful things they're doing now. And they're not all stars, but some of them are teachers and some of them are lawyers and some of them are, have started theatre companies and, and they're happier than the Hollywood stars I know. And it's very, very important to me that if anyone ever asks me anything, I say work hard and care about what ideas you're putting out into the world. And the rest is bullshit. Well, Tim Minchin, I can't wait to see what you put out into the world next. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Tim may have had some tough breaks in Hollywood, but I've got no doubt he'll bounce back and continue to show us all what makes him such a unique talent. He might be moving back to Australia, but make no mistake, that's not Tim giving up, but just doing it his way, without the BS. On the next episode of Aussies in Hollywood, Ben Mendelsohn is widely considered in Hollywood as Australia's most underrated actor. After moving to LA, the Animal Kingdom star has landed roles in Star Wars and the Netflix sensation, Bloodline. They came to me and asked me to, if I wanted to do it and they got me in, they got me in first. They told me about him and they, they, they said, look, we've seen you work and la 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 and we really want you to do this um, and we think, you know, and they just said, we want to see what you'll do with it. I knew what it was they were, what area they were, they were trying to get at and I just, um, I was just very glad that Sissy Spacek was my mum. <laughs> you know, I, that, that was yeah. what I thought. That's next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is recorded in LA for Podcast One. Recording is by Andrew Sink. Audio production by Alex Mitchell and Nick Slater. Produced by Tim Dunlop. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.